Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Founder Pack Podcast, where your host, Brendan Rod, brings startup stories from experienced founders and other functional experts to help current and future founders get inspired and grow their knowledge with quick tactical insights. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey, Andis. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brandon. How are you today? I'm actually feeling a little under the weather the last few days, to be honest, but I'm glad it's not the flu or anything worse. What about yourself? Well, I'm fingers crossed. You know, winter is the season for flu. Kids come in to the home, they bring it, and I'm down for two, three days. But right now, I'm good. I'm healthy, happy. I'm glad to hear it. And I... I saw there's like a crazy snowstorm supposedly coming into San Francisco. Well, yeah, I think it rains quite a bit. Last week was terrible. Uh, It goes, the snow goes into the mountains in the Sierra Nevada. We get the rain and the wind and chill. So today morning in my backyard, it was 31 degrees. So it's like cold and freezing. Since we're on the topic of San Francisco, I've been dying to like ask founders and, you know, native, how do you call native San Francisco? <laughs> I don't know what the term is. You call them techies. Techies. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> how did I not see that one? <laughs> Maybe there is such a thing as a dumb question, but... So since we're on the topic of of San Francisco, I'm really curious to hear from you, like, how how is the scene changing over there? I don't know, the last five years, 10 years, uh, I'm just curious to hear from a a native techie. (laughs) Good question, Brandon. I think there was definitely a, a huge amount of exuberance in the last four or five years, and that exuberance is now becoming a rational exuberance. And I think we're coming back to normal. There was like a lot of uh, you know, free cash or easy money that was flowing in. So it was like mind-bogglingly party scene. Uh, it was mellow because of COVID a little bit. And then, of course, the downturn in tech has happened or is happening. Um I think it's happening for the good. I think it's happening for the good in a way that uh, people who are serious about building long-term businesses, product founders, investors who want to take a bet on 10, 15, 20 years, they are back out of hibernation. So I think I'm super excited in terms of, yes, let's do what's long-term rather than, hey, let's just make quick money in, in short period of time. But wasn't there this mask sort of exodus happening even pre-COVID where people were starting to move out to Texas and like specifically, I think, Austin and even Atlanta and Raleigh. Raleigh is also an upcoming tech hub. And where else? There's one more, um, I think, in Arizona. There's an upcoming tech scene. It, It sounded like it was the cost of living and you know salaries and stuff like that but was there more to it or that was really that was it yeah there's more to it so unfortunately what happens is uh, people outside of san francisco they think san francisco equals the six larger 
neighborhoods of San Francisco, the greater San Francisco, which is Silicon Valley. So if you if you could if I could help you visualize San Francisco the city, you know, what we normally think San Francisco is, but then if you go south, there is Palo Alto, go further south, San Jose, which is you know, Santa Clara Valley, which was the original Silicon Valley. Then you go east, which is, you know, Dublin, where I live, Pleasanton and Fremont, and you know, those are the neighborhoods. People left San Francisco, the city, big time because the cost of living was up. But if you come to my neighborhood in East Bay in Dublin, California, people are staying put. They didn't move out because, you know, compared to San Francisco, rents are much lower here. You know, quality of life is much better. The crime is lesser compared to the city. So whereas people left San Francisco, the city, but the greater peninsula, the greater Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, that remained intact, I would say. Yeah, because when I was there not so long ago, a couple of months, it felt like, how do you say, um, dead man walking. (laughs) 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 It just wasn't the same, like compared to, I think, 2016. It was a very different city. It just didn't, the, the atmosphere was just really somber and not the San Francisco I remembered. Yeah, if I could add another minute on that, that the vibrancy of San Francisco, the city has kind of ebbed and flowed. So, you know, pre-dot-com, it was like super vibrant and then mellowed for three, four years. Then Salesforce and Twitter and then Uber and, you know, all of these other startups came out. And then, you know, the, the, the fervor of the city kind of caught up again after the housing crisis and then peaked before COVID. And then, of course, COVID plus a lot of money, cost of living going up, salaries going up, and people tired leaving. Well, thanks for taking me on a, a tour and a throwback to, to San Francisco. I appreciate it. I think it's also a good opportunity for you to kind of just share with us a little bit about you, your background, and what you're working on these days. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a tech entrepreneur. I'm a computer science graduate you know, love building brand new products or find problems and then build products for them. Uh, been in the industry for more than a decade. So I've seen some of these ebbs and flows uh, as we talked about. So currently I'm building a product called Qualum, uh, pretty rightly timed. We help companies optimize and know more about their software and tech expenses. How many Zoom licenses, how many Jira seats, you know, what's your usage of, uh, you know, Salesforce or HubSpot and help rationalize it because companies have spent a lot of money without knowing what they have bought. So we come in and we help. You must have interesting statistics behind the hood of all of that. Yes. Um, on an average, if you pick up an application, we'll tell you how much it's not being used, even without going inside the application. And that's the what we've seen. So if you name, let's say, a popular CRM, it's not used 30, 40% uh, as much by the people. If you take a popular video conferencing app, the numbers are even more straggling, 40, 50%. Because you know, Zoom, for example, has a free tier where you know participation in meetings is, is not required to be paid. But let's say you are a thousand people organization, you'll buy a thousand seats. 
and majority of them could be a free seat rather than a paid for. And, and we see this waste across the board. Awesome. I wanted to start with your experience as well in the advisory and investor scene. You mentioned you advised with Sequoia and a couple of other startups. Um, what is the number one problem that you see across your startup advisory portfolios and, and your experience? I think two or three things that I see, you know, one, and most of it is driven by who the founder is and what is their mindset. In many early stage companies, founders optimize too much on fundraising. You know, they milestone the journey of their startup as, as the journey of their fundraising. Oh, I have to do this to get to the next stage, which is Series A or Series B. Maybe it's right. Maybe it serves the founder and the journey of the startup, but it is a huge disservice to the customers because you're not optimizing your journey based on the product goal, saying, I got to build this product to make the life of customers better and use the funds to keep on building it. They do it the other way around. They make the journey driven by startup capital coming in. That's one I see. Second I see is mostly around product itself. So again, most of my comments you'll see is from a product perspective because I'm a product founder. I, I'm an engineer. So the second I see is products that are not uniquely differentiated. What I mean is if you look at, let's say, a sales tech or MarTech category, there are 10,000 apps or SaaS applications in sales or marketing technology infrastructure. Now, as a founder, the goal should be, how can I build a unique product, highly differentiated, that could take a large part of the market? And it requires a lot of thought. It requires planning, thinking, talking to customers. But what happens is founders look at, hey, product X, it looks very successful. I can make a slightly better version of product X, call it product Y. And this kind of helps them get off the ground a little bit, a few million dollars in revenue, but it flattens out after that. Because, you know, when large number of customers come in, they say, hey, what's the difference between those two? Is that sort of when the price wars could come in and they could survive by playing the price game? That exactly happens. Then the only differentiator is money. Can you charge less? Can you raise more money to charge less? Can you give out discounts? Can you do sales hacks, marketing hacks? Can you put PPC in play, acquire a dollar of revenue for $2 in PPC or $5 in PPC? So the price wars and marketing and sales wars then are driven by how much money you have or how much money you're ready to lose. Because, you know, both products are undifferentiated. The only difference is your go-to-market, which is customer acquisition. Could you not differentiate using price by going into uh, SMB, like going into different verticals? So, yes, your, your product might be similar, but 
you know that the SMB market cannot afford product X, but your product is half the price. It's similar, but your differentiator is like, hey, we serve the SMB market. I see that now with Gong, for example. There are Gong is like the premium, you know, for recording and revenue analysis, blah, blah, blah. But for some SMB companies, they may not need like all the bells and whistles. They just need good recordings. So just thought I would throw that out there. I think it's a, it's a great thought, Brendan. And in that case, absolutely agree. It's the category could be the same, but if you go after SMB, your product itself is slightly more different than just a, a better version of X. It has features which are tweaked for SMB, self-service. Uh, you have pricing plan, which is sustainable for that segment. You know, storage limit is lower because smaller businesses. So it becomes very different product by itself for a different market segment. So the theme for today's episode is going to be, can or should all companies be product-led driven? My first question, and this is something we were speaking about offline, before you go down the path of product-led, as a founder, should you first understand your superpower before deciding on whether you're a product-led company or a traditional sales-led company? Like how should a founder decide on, you know, what's their go-to market strategy? Absolutely agree. I think the number one comes from the founder's DNA itself. So if I'm a product founder, if I hand-built the first version of the product, I wrote code myself, I wrote the spec, the designed the UI, I'm a product founder. And hence, many elements of the PLG would see in the product, right? In the journey of the customer, how I acquire. Versus if I am not a product founder, I'm going to rely on someone else and I'm going to use my expertise of sales and customer acquisition to drive the product or customer growth. And those two personas could define or and decide whether my company has product-led motion or sales-led motion. And it could peel off a little bit more, but I think at the start, I think that's how you fork the road. And from advising your portfolio in the past, where do you typically see founders going wrong when deciding on whether or not to be product-led or sales-led? And like, what advice would you give their founders who are either about to make the decision or perhaps pivot? In my mind, all products, doesn't matter whether they are going to attach a PLG motion of acquiring customer or sales-led motion. At the end of the day, if you're giving software to your customer, those two, PLG versus sales, still have to have some foundational elements of making the product easy to use. I'll give you a you know, very simple example. 15 years ago, when you wanted to create an account on a software product, you have to call someone. Now you just go online and either do single sign-on or create your account. You could then add team members. So although these features are defined as part of product-led motion, but I think these features are foundational for any product, right? Whether it's sales-led or product-led. So I want to you know, call that out very specifically that 
some of those things like self-service are absolutely needed. Uh, if you look as an example, let's say Salesforce. Now, is Salesforce sales-led or product-led? Now, we could debate and lose both the fronts, but you know the product itself is designed for product-led motion. You can sign up, you can create an account, you can pay, and you can use the product on a limited basis. But then somebody from sales is going to pick you up if you are beyond 10 employees and using heavily, and they're going to call you down. And that's where the nuance is that foundationally, all products in my mind should be product-led. Sales is the layer that you bring on top based on your price point. So anything that you sell to the enterprise, anything that you sell which has 200 seats, 500 licenses, features that you have not exposed to the world becomes a layer of sales-led. So in my mind, we can say yes, one or the other, but eventually good products have both because, you know, I'll give you an example of ours. In our journey, when we started Colum, it was self-service. Um, you could create, a, create an account, you could you know, sign up and do everything needed. But over a period of time, since we are selling to CFOs, they would not even sign up. They would just say, hey, call me. What do you do then? Then you start layering a sales motion on top. I'm going to call you. I'm going to show you the product and, and so on and so forth. So the mistakes that many founders do, if their product is suited for both enterprise and SMB, they have to be ready to do sales. Even in the earlier example, Brendan, let's say there's a, you know, the version of Gong for SMB, but it does not preclude the founder who is doing the SMB version of Gong to not be ready for inbound uh, opportunities for sales uh, you know led motion so i think the choice is not either or the choice is 80% of product led and 20% of sales led and then the other side is 20% of um, you know 80% of sales led and you have some people doing things self serve yeah and i think what you're saying segues nicely into my follow up question do some founders skip the the strategy and go straight into the tactics. And because PLG has become this buzzword, everybody's like, oh yeah, we have to product-led, we have to be product-led, but they don't think through long enough the, the strategy of the company's overall go-to-market. Would you say that that tends to be true more than not? I agree. I agree. And this is also the case when founders have not exposed themselves to selling in larger contexts and they focus too much on product building, putting a pricing page, adding a subscription manager such as Chargebee or Stripe, and then let everything else take the course by itself. Now, if you look at the current downturn, and this is the stats that we saw, the first set of applications to be cut or canceled are pure product-led applications. Because somebody bought 25 seats in a department, the CFO never signed off, the IT never signed off, some group of people are using, and when they decide to cut, there is nobody making a justification on the buyer side. More than that, on these 
the product side or the sales side, there is no account management. There has not been any you know, human touch point of customer success other than automated emails asking them to rate and review. That hurts in a longer term. So even if you're doing pure product-led, you cannot forego your human interaction. I think that's the key point. That, that, that's a huge insight and it seems super obvious when you say it, but like I never actually <laughs> took the time to actually think about that. What would you say, <clears throat> what would you say are like some of the core components when deciding on whether or not to go product-led or sales-led? Do you have a framework or a checklist that you would walk founders through to be like, hey, answer these five or 10 questions before deciding on which path to take? Yeah, I think I don't have it written down, but uh, from the top of my head, uh, two or three things that pop up as a checklist. One is capital. I think that's a very easy one. You know, do you have $2 million or $5 million to build up an engine of a product so that you could do sales because it's, it takes time to build a sales-led motion. And because the product will also have to have features which supports larger companies. So that is number one. Uh, and we'll dig deeper into these. Second is your ACV of the product. Are you selling, I'll give you an example. Um, very popular product category is in a product tour and you know, customer analytics. Uh, there are two different companies in that. One is self-service. You Let's say Intercom, you do a sign-up, you grab a JavaScript widget, you put it in your website, you're up and running, no time. And you configure the product tour yourself, right? Hey, on this bubble, show this message. But there are a couple of other companies. I'll give you an example. Let's say Watfix. They go after very large enterprises. Their ACVs are much higher, you know, 40, 50K, I, I don't know the business that well. I'm just making a guess here, like 40, 50K because you know they go after large customers such as banks and stuff. Now, that cycle itself is six months before you can close. So if you are building for sales-led, what is your ACV and what is your capital that you have handy to build that? If you are a product founder, you must have content marketing, you know, uh, your skills of acquiring customers using social media or growth hacks, whereas if you are sales-led, you could do traditional sales motions on your network and referrals. So the choice is capital. Second is what is the ACV of the product? Third is your own capabilities beyond building the product. Can you write? Can you talk? Can you go convince directly and that decides you know what you're doing one versus the other so i would put a checklist of three to start with and then we can peel further on those so it, you really have to eliminate choice and you need to really go with a methodical approach because just by listening to you for like 3 minutes you could make a completely wrong decision by listening to your inner circles or I don't know if you see investors pushing wrong information to founders is that something you come across absolutely right investors would come to your board meeting and say hey why are you not doing 
sales-led if you are already a product-led company? And vice versa, why are you not doing product-led so that we could get a large momentum of small customers into the pipeline? And as a founder, as an as a CEO, be ready to answer the question saying, hey, you can't just change a product-led business from a sales-led overnight because you need to staff it up, you need money, you need to get somebody who looks after uh, sales territories um, and hire people who are expert in doing demos. So the structure of a business is completely different and vice versa, right? So if, you, if the company is purely sales-led, you will notice they will not do many press announcements. They are not very active on social media. The founders are not on podcasts. They're not talking what they do on a daily basis. They don't share publicly what their inner mind is because they're not product-led motion founder, right? I'm not saying the choice that they have made could be for other reasons, but most PLG founders are out there, you know, talking on a daily basis to smaller customers, mid-sized users versus a sales-led founder. So if somebody tells you, hey, do product-led and you are wary of picking up the phone and you like picking up the phone and talking, but not putting message on social media, you can do it overnight. Interesting. So you're combining marketing's participation heavily into the product-led motion because a lot of what you said sharing and showing what you're doing and talking about it on social that is more marketing yeah absolutely because when you are product-led you are showing the product on a daily basis hey look at this what i built look at the features whereas if you're sales-led you are looking for people who have a need before you show them what you have so it's very nuanced and that shows what you as a founder are doing as a as a motion to acquire customers and i think there's a lot of like hybrid <laughs> go to market plays like you see sales led with lots of marketing and then you see lots of product led with lots of marketing i haven't seen so much of the sales led without the marketing but perhaps these are the companies that are doing something behind the scenes and I don't know, perhaps leveraging channel and alliances and relationships and you don't see them until they're a unicorn. I don't know. Yeah, we can take Salesforce as an example. So what we know that Salesforce does publicly that you know, general perception is they do one event, which is called Dreamforce, right? And that's their biggest marketing extravaganza. But Salesforce as a company does hundreds of events on a monthly basis with without customers, you know, where their customers are or where their prospects are. And that's not visible to us on a daily basis. So that's an example of doing event digital marketing targeted towards a customer base, but not generally available for every every you know, Joe to consume. Um, and And to add to that, I think marketing is table stakes, irrespective of whether you are product-led or sales-led. And that's where the, the nuance becomes a little bit more deeper that some of the foundational aspects, and just like you have to have self-service, whether you're product-led or sales-led. Similarly, you have to have a great 
product marketing message irrespective of that. You have to have a social presence. Um, the key point there is, uh, and what you pointed to, Brandon, it's becoming more hybrid than one camp versus the other and becoming more what I am going after. So if I'm Gong, I'm going after enterprise. So my emotions are hybrid in a different way versus if I am uh, notetaker.ai in SMB, I am probably hybrid and leaning towards PLG in a, in a very heavy 80% way. As a startup, do you think you're at a disadvantage going in with a purely sales-led approach? Or is the answer is always, it depends, but I'm just kind of looking for some tactics and strategies around mm. how you could overcome the, the sales-led approach if, you're, for example, your ACV is high and your sales cycle is high. You know, what would your advice be to that specific scenario? It, it, it depends is the right answer. And I'll kind of, given our examples, our product is self-service, serves a section of customer freemium, which is product-led, they don't need to engage with us, which we don't want, but we do once they sign up. But we sell to CFOs and our procurement, they don't do self-service. They want to talk. And the challenge for us is if we were purely product-led, and this is the disadvantage in one way or the other. So today, discovery of the product happens directly on Google, you search for the name or the competitor or the category or the solution that, you, uh, that you're thinking of. You go on to G2 Crowd or G2.com to see the reviews. Now, if you're purely sales-led, guess what? The number of reviews, the number of external customer validations will be much, much lesser. And then your discovery becomes even more troublesome because people are not writing about you versus when you're product-led, even if they are on a $5 plan and they love it, they will share on social, they'll go on G2, put a comment there, they'll send you an email, which helps you in content marketing in a very big way. And, and hence to the point of more and more companies have started realizing that there is no two different camps, but it's a combination of these two that actually wins. What are your thoughts on leveraging those, let's call it product-led tactics, using this hybrid approach to reduce sales cycles in a sales-led approach? I think the very simple is uh, giving an opportunity to try the product, which is you know normally a forte of product-led and in sales-led, they'll say, hey, there's no trial. Give me $5,000, and then you can do a proof of concept. It used to work earlier. It works in established companies. Larger companies can do that. But smaller companies, they cannot. So I think one tactic to borrow is if a customer asks or have a playbook on offering 30, 40-day trial, even if you are not advertising on the website, so have your product support the trial as an example. Uh, second one is borrow the playbook of customer reference and testimonials from product-led heavily on to sales-led. We have done not with great success, again, constraint of time, 
where we do the, you know, hey, rate us on g2.com as an example. Um, can I take a two-minute video and share your testimonials on the website? And these are some of the product-led you know, examples that can be easy or tactics that can be easily used on sales-led. And that's that's the hybrid approach. And would you say it's a bad idea to try and accomplish sales-led and product-led at the same time? I think it is. Um, because let's say you're starting up now, you have two people and a dog and you're writing code. You have to choose what path you want to take for the first few years or at least until you hit like a million dollars in revenue. You can't do both because then the company leadership or everybody else around you will be confused. Your investors will be confused. You could have a larger goal of going to the enterprise, which is fine, but you have to start saying, oh, we have to release the product in six months. We will focus on smaller customers and we will purely have a PLG strategy and PLG tactics combined into one. And then a year down the road, once we hit a million in ARR, we will bring in a head of sales. We will do some of these sales-led tactics. as well. Do you have recommendations on how to build out your product-led team if your ACV, let's say, is around 20,000 and you still need a light sales touch? What would your recommendation be on how to structure the team to, to make that happen? Yeah, the, the, the journey is very straightforward, at least in my mind. So if you want to do a light sales touch, hire someone in inside sales or what we call as inbound team. And, you know, when you have signups, they monitor who the signup is from, small company versus large company. And then they take a decision to touch base. That is one. Second, I would do immediately is putting account managers from a customer success team who watch these early stage customers on a daily basis, what they're doing, how they're using the product, uh, do, are they adding new team members? And then boom, the moment you see a signal, you try to layer a sales motion saying, hey, can I upgrade you? Can I give you more features? And then that's the easiest path to transition from one tactic to the other. Awesome. And then you... You mentioned offline how to make your product PLG ready. Maybe you can give us some good examples and bad examples of that. So good examples of PLG ready is, I think PLG today is two parts. Part is the product, part is, you know, larger category of content marketing, which is, you know, driving people to your product. And when I say content marketing, I also mean social media, some growth strategies, you know, uh, speaking to people in forums like, you know, podcasts or uh, building apps which are embedded as integration in other products which organically drive traffic. So product plus marketing or content marketing. In case of products, I think there are table stake foundational features. So self-service, you have to have sign-in or sign-up, you have to have single sign-on with G Suite or Azure or any other social logins is, you know, table stakes have to have import of data depending on what you're building from other sources without user intervention and which kind of touches upon integration is have to have. So these are the three or four, I would say, yes, you've got to have, at least in SaaS, 
you know, these two or three are must have to get off the ground where you ride on the success of other bigger players. Uh, let's spend 30 seconds on integrations. So let's say you have an idea for something unique and it is marketing related. How can you attach yourselves to a HubSpot app marketplace? You integrate with them, it'll help in discovery, it'll do the lead flow, uh, try to do a joint marketing with their team. Can you do a guest blog post on HubSpot on that topic or other forums which allow that? So content marketing, marketing plus some of the product-led cycles can help you get off. And where do you see founders struggling the most with their product-led approaches and infrastructure? I think in many cases, product-led is step one to building a larger business, you know, because Customers are everywhere, SMB, mid-market, enterprise. They potentially would love to see what you have built. But if the product itself is not suited for them, I'll give you one example. So social login, right? Say so you built something for product-led, you added LinkedIn login, you added Facebook, you added G Suite or Google single sign-on. But very easily, you can add, let's say, a Microsoft Azure single sign-on or an Okta single sign-on. That messages to a mid-market or large enterprise, oh, this product is enterprise-ready. So founders make a mistake of not even trying that out for, you know, for the sake of spending two days in adding an Okta single sign-on. Because you never know who's going to land on your site, who's going to sign in. And they would want to do it using their own set of infrastructure. Just an example. Bad examples are long-form fills. You still want to do product-led, but you ask too much data upfront. Um, my personal bad example is product-led, but you ask credit card information for trial. You want to leave it as much as possible for the customers to see the breadth and depth of your product in 30, 40, 40, 60 days or forever with limited set of features without asking, hey, add your credit card for enabling a product. And, and perhaps we can spend a, a couple minutes on your comment earlier about like product-led can have a tendency to have higher churn because of that lack of human interaction. So... Would you advise companies to get the greater buying team involved early on in the sales cycle or get the sale done and then start working on your customer success play? I think it should come early on. Um, even if you're product-led, you have to know who your customers are, You know who's using, what companies are they, and have a signal or a marker, and I'll give a very easy one. If a product is suited for a department, let's say Figma as a design tool, and the moment more than 10% of the department starts creating accounts, you have to activate account management and reach out saying, hey, how can I help you? You know, are you getting value out of, and probably without any agenda of collecting more money. But with the agenda of getting feedback, saying, hey, are you happy? Send an email, talk to people, and that will help you reduce your churn because when time comes to cancel, at least there's a human face as an interaction that will help you hang on to that, saying, 
you, because you've talked to that person in the past saying, hey, Jack, uh, I know that you have canceled some seats. Is there something I can help you with? That would spark a conversation if you've talked to Jack in, in like summer of last year or a couple yep. of months. And perhaps to close out the episode here, what would you say are some of the best marketing channels to drive your product-led motion? I think I mentioned earlier, and I'm a fan of marketplaces, um, be it um, Slack marketplace, be it uh, HubSpot, be it uh, you know SendGrid, or a Zoom marketplace, an example, because you know they are spending billions of dollars in making sure they derive revenue from that marketplace. And if you as a small company adds value to the Zoom or the Slack infrastructure, they will promote you. And integrations, as an example, is the driver for a huge amount of product-led success. And I would say founders should focus on that very deeply if they can do that with their product. Before we really wrap up, is there anything you would like to add that we didn't cover, something we missed? No, I think I'll, I'll repeat the point that we discussed, Brandon, earlier that you know product-led is a great tactic to get started, figure out how to engage with customers and you know see if you could have champions in your mid-size or enterprise success story uh, and as a hybrid you kind of become more successful than what you are i really appreciate all the knowledge that you shared with us today on the founder pack podcast if anyone would like to reach out connect with you pick your brain more on this stuff where's the best place for people to to reach out oh, well easy i am in Khetan on linkedin on social channels if you want to talk about Colum, what we do you know Unfortunately, a secret, my Calendly link is on the homepage. So you could actually slide yourself and, you know, do a 15, 20, 20 minutes. With there, there's, a pro, there's a smart product-led <laughs> trick for everyone. <laughs> Thanks again, Indus. It was a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. All right. Thank you, Brandon. It was fantastic chatting with you. Likewise. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Founder Pack Podcast with Brendan Roth part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share the channel and itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.